This is the Sneaky Plays Podcast, presented by JokerMag.com. Alrighty then, welcome to the Sneaky Plays Podcast. I'm Brian Contino, here with Chris Morris, Dom Fierro. What's up, guys? What, fellas? Good to be back after a very eventful, controversial, whatever you want to call it, unbelievable day of football on Sunday. Um... And we got ourselves a hell of a Super Bowl. Can't wait. Yeah, so um, being that Super Bowl is next weekend, no football this weekend besides the Pro Bowl. It's a little disappointing. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not watching the Pro Bowl. No, no chance. I like to I watch some highlights on like some Instagram accounts today. That's all I'm doing connected to the Pro Bowl. I will not watch a minute of the game. The thing to watch about the Pro Bowl is their like, skills check. Damn drone flying. Yeah, exactly. That's the more. That's the better stuff. Dodgeball game at the end is just absolute anarchy. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. Yeah, that is, like, that's worth watching. What is that like? The week before? I mean, yeah, or like yeah. a couple days before. You get like Drew Brees throwing a dodgeball as fast as he can, and like, uh, and like Odell just like snagging it with one hand. That's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, that's some good stuff. Uh, I like how they do that with all the – I like that part of all sports, all-star games, as opposed to, like, the actual game besides the MLB. Like, NHL, like, all the skill stuff is super cool. Um, NBA, it's, like, it's not even a freaking game. All the skill stuff is way cooler, like, three-point and then the uh, ultimate skills challenge and the slam dunk. That's awesome. Pro Bowl skill stuff is cool, too, but the games are just – Boring, man. Yeah, the NBA game actually was was pretty good last year because they, I love I love they switched up the format finally, but it was horrible for so long. And yeah, the MLB All Star Game I kind of like, but the rest of them football, the Pro Bowl is the worst. Well, yeah, the Pro Bowl is the worst because no one the wants NHL their body and cool. The NHL skills competition is by far my favorite. Yeah, that's cool. Then I, like, yeah, the game's like all right, whatever. But the skills challenges are definitely really cool. The game is even fun because it's three on three. So, yeah, true. That's true. Fun. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I forgot. Yeah, they did go to that. That actually does make it better. The NBA skills competition I used to love, but hey, I don't love it as much anymore. It's a little it's every now and again. We had that one year. Yeah, the amazing dunk contest with Gordon and Levine. Oh, but that, other than that, it really, has kind of been a lull. It's been it's been dead. You know, There's yeah. Not, what are you going to see on B do? The, the obstacle course again and act like a fool like he always does. Yeah. It's fun. <laughs> like, once you've seen it once, you've seen never have to see it again. Joel is such a clown, man. Getting into it with Harden and Westbrook in back-to-back games. I love it. Oh, uh, well. All right, before we get into sports, um, by the way, I want to remind everyone that this is our first non-NFL podcast. Um, well, technically our first multi-sport co- uh, podcast. We will talk about the NFL briefly in a uh, couple minutes, but um, we're, we're going to be talking about the MLB, NBA, college basketball, and then we'll sniff the NHL a little bit. Obviously, it's about to be all-star break this weekend, so um, pretty much the turning point of the season is after this week anyway, so we'll dive into that more in the coming weeks, but this week I'll just well, I'll touch on it a little bit. Um, but for right now, I was, uh, I was at work today, and uh, – there was a candy bowl presented in front of me, right? And it was a bunch of candies I didn't like, and I was kind of upset. So it got me thinking. I was like, if I had to, like, live on candy, right, and that was the only thing I could eat, 
was three different types of candy. What candies would I eat? So that's my question for you guys today. What three candies would you be able to depend upon to eat for the rest of your life? Ooh, ooh. Um, you want one first? Maybe like, be like chocolate, like a like a chocolate bar or something. It could be, yeah, it could be. I want I want like individual named like bars okay. or candies. I would need a crunch bar. Oh. I love crunch bars. That's a, that's, that's a definite must. So that's your number one pick, crunch bars? That's probably my number one pick. I would need right. Reese's, too. All right, so one and two, crunch and Reese's. Dom, what about you? What's your one and two? Well, first off, Morris, you said Reese's wrong. It's Reese's, dude. It is not. It's not Re- uh, Reese's, uh, is it? Yeah, I mean, both. it might be. I'm not 100% sure about that. Look, look, before we get it, it's, it's Reese's, all right? Because, <laughs> because it is... Like, think about it's a name, right? It's you, when yeah. you say someone, it, you know, that's Reese's, you know, toy. Oh, yeah, it definitely, it definitely is Reese's. <laughs> I don't know why. People, people just say Reese's, though. Like, and I do too. I fall into that. Because people are wrong. I know. <laughs> well, now when you say it that way, it is Reese's. Uh, all right. So, Dom, you're, you're top two. You're top two. So, that would be my number two is Reese's. And then Snickers would be my number one. Ooh. Snickers. I like Snickers. I wouldn't need it. I feel like I could come up with a. My third one, uh, probably my third one's a throwback. What Charleston Chew? Oh man, I, I never even liked that that much. I'd probably go with, uh, I probably would need a Hershey bar, honestly. You're so going all chocolate, you're so Classic Hershey bar. Basic. It's hard to pass up a Hershey bar, man. Actually, that's kind of true. Like, I saw a commercial the other day and I was like. It was just a Hershey's commercial. I haven't seen one of those in forever. Yeah, just anything Hershey's. Man. And I was like, wow, that, that looks good. Um, yeah. My top three, oh, I guess three three would be Swedish Fish. That I, li- I do like Swedish Fish. I'm not a fan. I'm not a big fan. It's a good one. I do like those. I just don't like, I don't, I mean, I like candy, but I don't love it. I'd rather the chocolate kind of flavor. But if I were to choose like a candy sweet like that, Swedish Fish would definitely be in there. Uh, it's got to be our patch kids. Oh, that's yeah. Those are good too. Those yeah, good so too. like, good too. for me, I'm actually a chocolate guy. But like, I, you know, if I'm gonna have only three candies for the rest of my life, like one of them has to be not chocolate. So, three, three would be Swedish Fish. That'd be like my, you know, every every now and then type of snack. Um, mm-hmm. Two is the hundred grand bar. I don't even know what that is. Well, I don't even know. Yeah, what is that? Who makes like, that? Is that? that- 100 grand bar. Oh. Is, that a, is that like who ma- I feel like, wait, who makes that? Nestle. Nestle, right? I was going to say that. It's never. like I've heard of that actually now that you say it, but I I've, I've never had it now. Oh, it's like a crunch but it's like thick with a, with nougat in the middle. And then oh, really? it's got crunchies. Oh, it's so good. Oh, that oh. sounds like like a better crunch bar, honestly. That's what it is basically. Yeah. Wow. Is, I, I got to try this out. You got to go to your local freaking convenience store and get one. What's it called? 100 grand, you know, like the Mac Miller song, like 100. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's how it says it on the bar. It's RIP, yeah, RIP. Um, and then number one, uh, Dom, I have to agree with you here Snickers, it's the best, it is great. I just thought I like caramel, but like, I don't, I mean, I like it a lot, but I don't, it's not like my favorite thing. I'd rather just like pure chocolate. I think peanut butter with chocolate's better with car, better than caramel chocolate. 
You don't think so? I like I like Carmel a lot too. Morris, can you just one week? Can you just not be wrong on this podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Dom, bro, you you've been you were you wrote Doug Martin all year. That worked out like one week. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So speaking of Doug Martin, all right, let's go to the NFL. Um, I mean, I really don't want to compare the two, Doug Martin and the NFL. But anyway, (laughs) um, NFL this past weekend. Dom, I actually want to hear your take on these games first, and then we'll slide over to Morris, and then I'll just kind of go over what you guys said. So, Dom, give us uh, your feedback from this past Sunday. So, I'm like, I'm pretty much, I think I'm in the minority with this kind of topic, where I think if, like, the call, if the Rams don't go down the field and go goal to send it to the OT, or if the Rams don't win in an OT, no one cares about that call come Monday morning. Not one person, right? Saints are up 13 nothing to end the first quarter. That game should be over if you have uh, the best home field in all of football, right? They got outplayed for three you know, and a half quarters, I guess you want to include overtime. So that call is like, almost like a scapegoat, in my opinion. It's almost like, uh, what's his name for the Cubs, the fan? Steve Bartman. You know, like the Cubs play like crap, but that's what gets blamed on it, right? Yeah, that makes sense. That's, like, I got you. I got you. That was, like, a, I think the Bartman one's even worse, honestly, than this. Well, obviously, yeah. Yeah. The, no, I'm yeah. in agreement with you. I think the whining from the Saints fans has gotten like, ridiculous. But what, like, what happens if, you know, say it's 39, 3rd and 10, whatever it was, right? And Bruce throws the incompletion there, right? Where that ball's, <laughs> knocked, that ball's knocked down because, I mean, I, I can't pronounce the guy's name, but if he looks at that ball, he's going for six. <laughs> uh, but what if that ball's knocked down and they end up kicking the field goal? Oh, Roby, Roby Coleman, yeah. Yeah. You know, what happens then? Are we going to still blame the call? Are we, you know? Yeah. You, no, I hear you. It's 13 nothing. You have to, you know, you can blow them out. That game was on the verge of being just a, almost like a Falcons Packers slaughter from a few years ago, as much as that pains me to say. You know, but mm-hmm. no, I hear that, you. They jumped out quick. That call is made, and now everybody's going to blame the call. They're not going to blame Breeze throwing a ball straight into the, the turf on, on first down. They're not going to oh. getting stuffed on second down. They're not going to be blamed for not letting Jared Goff drive down the field to kick the field goal. They're not going to blame Drew Breeze for throwing the interception. That was a rainbow pass. I know he got hit, but still, <laughs> there's just a lot of things that went wrong for the Saints that is overshadowed, or I don't know if that's the right word, but the call is just completely, you know, made this thing huge. But the Saints played like crap. That's, you know, the definite – no, that's what happened. They played like crap, and they lost, and they deserve to lose. I could not be in further agreement with you, Dom. I'm so happy that's your stance on this because I know we're going to disagree on some stuff about the other game. Uh <laughs> But this game, no. I'm, I'm. Have you seen the videos? There was a video today that Saints fans posted that was like a minute and a half, like rap song that, you know, it was a knockoff. I forget what the song was, but just you know, making the whole thing about the call. And the reality, the reality is, you're up thirteen nothing at home in the NFC Championship game. You don't lose that game, and let's be honest, the second straight week a fake punt really turned the tides. Um, obviously against the Eagles the week before when the Eagles were fourteen nothing. You know, that fake punt gave the Saints life. They ended up scoring a touchdown on that drive. And the Rams, even though they only got a field goal, you could kind of just see it got there. You know, they moved the ball. They got some confidence on offense. 
and their defense, you know, they fed off that. They came out, got a three and out the next time. And the Rams got that touchdown before the half. And that's when it was really like, oh, we got a game here now. Um, but then the Saints still came out in the second half, and I think they scored the first drive. It was 20 to 10. But really, I mean, the crux of that game, I mean, people forget, too, on the other end, when it was 20 to 17, Rams got second and goal. Golf scrambling. He's clearly not going to score. But his face mask got grabbed on the way down there. I know you guys no saw one, that, right? No one wants to mention that. Yeah, no. I've been trying to mention it. Like if that ha- that gets called there, the Rams have first and goal at the two yard line. Most likely, like it's the, you can make the same assumption there as you can that they're going to make the twenty three yard field goal or whatever. Yep. And then I mean, yeah. And then then you're looking at a twenty four twenty game. Now the Saints on that drive. Now that you have to score a touchdown. So I mean, the whole thing, you know, it turns out differently. And like you said, Don. I mean, they they had it. They're up three. This, the Rams have, what, a little under two minutes, like a minute 45, minute and a half, one timeout. I mean, they have time, but if you want to win the game, stop them there. And then you get the ball in overtime, too, on yeah. top of that. And you can't hold up blocking. And Sue and Donald, I mean, even Fowler, I think he got degrees in the last play. Those guys were really rushing hard, especially in the second half. They wore them down. Um, and they're playing their best football of the year. And I think that they could uh, – I think they have a chance to do some damage against the Pats, even though the Pats, you know, Brady's the master at getting out of it quick. But – that's a, you know that's another story, um, but uh, yeah, I, I think the, the Rams deserve to win this game. Yeah, it's it's it by, it mind boggles me that you know yeah the call was bad. I'll put that out there. The call was bad. It is top five worst calls I've ever seen. Agreed. The sporting and like context, yeah. time of the game, and everything. It was it was awful. But at the end of the day, this game is lost by the Saints playing like crap for three and a half quarters. I very much the Rams agree. Had, I, don't think the, I think the Rams maybe had 25 yards at the end of the first quarter. Yeah, the Rams dominated the last three quarters. It was the same thing. The Eagles dominated the first quarter against the Saints. The Saints really dominated the next three. And same thing this week. I mean, the Saints really didn't – I mean, maybe not completely dominate because they still scored some points. But the Rams looked like the better team for most, most of that game after the first quarter. And, then, and I said this to my one friend. I go, since you're little, right? When you start getting into real competitive, you know, whatever sport you're playing, you're yeah. told, don't put it in the ref's hands, right? Right? Any sport you play, football, baseball, soccer, basketball, whatnot. Yeah, don't let it get to so that. So you know the NFL refs are awful. They are, right? You can't have yeah. you can't have average Joes refing freaks of nature. That's that's that one that's what it comes down to, really. But you can't be upset with a call that is missed like that. When you know they're awful. They're so bad. <laughs> it's really a problem, man. I mean, I, I get it. They're human beings. I mean, it's hard to do, but the way it's, I mean, it, it's gotten really bad now. It's, and it's gotten, I think it's gotten 10 times worse because of all the different angles of replay, right? You get slow motion. You got high uh-huh. line cams. You got cam cameras right above the guys. You got cameras on the sidelines and whatnot. But at the end of the day, you can't leave it in the refs' hands either, and that's what they did. They're going to try to blame. I mean, and now the Saints have taken it too far, right? Take the loss. Right? They are whining like you know, crazy, got, man. It's, it's ticket, ridiculous. And ticket holders suing. Yeah, Michael Thomas is tweeting the rule that Roger Goodell can overturn the game, right? Dude. Like, just stop. No loss sucks. Go home. You lost, yeah, man. And they didn't play well at the end. Like they got, you had chances afterwards. That's what I mean. I don't know, man. I'm done with it. <laughs> I'm I'm fed up now. I really am. Like the last couple of days, I was kind of sympathetic, at least on Monday. Now I'm like, all right, shut up. 
Yeah, so my, my only point with this one game is, you know, the Saints should have won by playing against the clock as opposed to playing the opponent towards the end of the game. All they had to do was run the clock down, a couple run plays. You have one of the best kickers in football. It's a guarantee three points. You run it down to what? It was going to be like 42nd-ish probably. Yeah. The Rams only had two timeouts, and it's already under two minutes. So all they had to do was run for two plays, I mean three plays rather, and then kick the field goal, It whatever. And then the only thing with the call is it was thrown to freaking Tommy Lee Lewis. I know. Yeah, exactly. What guarantee, what guarantee in the world is that Tommy Lee Lewis is going to catch that football? You're on that play with Kamara. He's going to get the call probably. If the guy turns his head, it's pick six. It's six points. Yeah. What are talking Robbie about? Coleman, I know. Ugh. Game's over. That was that was bad. Yeah, so that's that's my only thing. <laughs> it's like they're like, oh, that you know, if that's the right call or whatever, or he doesn't pass into fear, then you know we win the game. It's like probably not because Tommy Lee Lewis has like seven catches all year. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know what the argument is. You you didn't play well enough the entire game to win the game, and that's their own fault. I'm sick of it. Let's move on to another controversial topic from this past Sunday, which was the overtime between the Chiefs and the Patriots. What do you guys think about the overtime rule in general for the playoffs? Well, first, let me just say this real quick, is that D. Ford is the luckiest man on the face of the earth that that game Luckiest? Yeah. The, how is he the luckiest? He cost them the game. He lined up in neutral zone in the fourth quarter. Yeah, so how's he the luckiest? Because it went to overtime. <laughs> oh, because they got the OT. Oh, yeah. okay. I see what you're saying. But, like, well, I mean, like that ball's pretty, you, like, that But ball's... they win the game if he doesn't do that. They end up losing the game. So, and theoretically, I mean, he kind of screwed up going to overtime. So, at the same time, he's like lucky. Yeah. You know? Like that. That's, I hear you. The but one then, yeah, then unlucky, they don't get the toss. Yeah. Which is yes. So. But the overtime period, so I've heard a lot of arguments about this. I've always been – I've always thought that both teams should touch the ball. I think 2019, yeah, the NFL has been around for God knows how long. You know, this is, what, Super Bowl 53 coming up? It's been around longer than that. Yep. That both teams should be touching the ball. If not in the season, you don't want to do it in the season, fine. Don't. But in, in the playoffs, it must be done. Now, uh, yeah, I know – in reality, the team with the uh, who gets the ball second, you know, speaking, has a bit, there's a more of an advantage if you're you know that team because in college at least because you know exactly what you need to do, you either score a touchdown, go to another one, or you kick a field goal, go to another one, or you win the game, right? But at the same time, if you want to do it, you don't have to do it from the 25 in the NFL. You can do it from the 50. You can do it. From the other side, your own 20. It doesn't matter, right? You want to do something where you started at the 50 and you get four downs or something? I think I like the 50. I think that's yeah. the right thing to do. Yeah, I mean, because, and, and it makes sense, you know. 20, yeah, agreed. 25 yard line for college. You should have to go to at least the 50. You know, uh-huh. That doesn't guarantee you a field goal, but it's, at the same time, it does guarantee you. A I, think, I think the first time, I think they should go to the 50. And the first time each team has the ball, they're allowed to kick a field goal. And after that, no field goals. You have to go for it on fourth down every time. Yeah, I would agree. I, I mean, if you want – maybe if you don't want to – I mean, 
if you want to take the that puts kickers involved in the game though, and I kind of hate kickers, so I want them out of the game as much as possible. Like that's my problem with the extra point rule, you know. Well, yeah, the extra point. I've always thought the extra point rule is stupid. I think it's stupid yeah. too. It's like kind of entertaining. I sort of see it, but it, when it comes down to it, it's stupid because you don't want kickers in games. Yeah, and. You know, that's the thing over time is that I think that somehow, some way, both teams should be able to touch the ball, you know. Or you can even do it where, like, the team that gets it, who wins the coin toss, you know, they want to receive. Then you have a kickoff, right? And, you know, if they get it to – if they kick a field goal, you can put it at, like, the 20-yard line automatically. Don't even bother with the kickoff or something, you know? Yeah. You know, I've heard player safety, you know, they can't – since Wednesday, they don't ever care about player safety. I know, I know, I know. So, in, at the end of the day, both teams need to touch the ball, at least in the playoffs. You can't have a championship game or a playoff game, in that matter, sided by one team holding the ball off of a 50-50 chance on point toss. <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, I'm actually – I disagree with both of you. I don't think – uh, the overtime rule should change at all. Um, I mean, the point of the game, right, is to win it in regulation. You know what I'm saying? You know, if you don't do that, then you have failed your objective. Um, maybe they should do something instead of it being a coin toss, maybe it coming down to something else than luck with that. Maybe some sort of stat, you know, maybe offensive yards gained during the game. They get the ball first or something like that. But I think coming to a coin flip is a little ridiculous because, like, that's literally chance, you know. I think it should be something that two teams have fought against the entire game determine who gets the ball first. Um, heard things about the away team always getting the ball first, and I, I can see that as well being a decent rule. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the everyone's been fighting for, you know, we want these games to be over qu- more quickly than – have been going and stuff like that. Um, and then now a lot of the arguments are, oh, we need more replay. We need longer games, things like that. So I don't know. For me, the it's always been the rule. And, you know, the Saints game went in overtime, right? The team that got the ball first did yeah. score. They got stopped. Definitely so, back. you know, I mean, it, the Rams were never guaranteed the ball, but they worked towards the ball and they got it back. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, like, I definitely see both sides of the argument because, like, especially because it's against the Patriots, too, right? It's like, you see Mahomes make that comeback. You're like, oh, if Mahomes had one more chance, you know? But it's it's not the Patriots' fault that they won the coin toss. It's not the Patriots' fault that they outplayed them during the game, you know? For very the true. First very true. Game. Very true. I think the better team ended up winning both games. Yeah. So, it's, it's not the Patriots' fault that well, they held – Patrick Mahomes, you know, he's on the field for like, like five total minutes in the first half or some, some crazy, something crazy like that. Like, mm. you know, I, I mean, play better during the, you know, the regulation then, and then that over time, you know, like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, mean, no, I, 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 I hear what you're saying. I, I hear the point. I mean, like the right teams ended up winning this weekend and I actually, that's a decent proposition, you know, whether, you know, deciding it off a coin flip, which is so stupid. You know, more offensive yard gain, yards gained in the game. You know, some you could figure out some kind of stat there, I feel like. Um, but when it comes down to it, I just feel like I, th- I think there's a way to do it. And, you know, all kinds of rules. And you know, I know what you mean. You know, replays. And 
all this stuff that makes games take longer and like, no one wants that either. But I think there's a logical way to where you can give the teams the ball at a certain yard line, you know, and force them just make them go for it. I don't know what to do. But there's a way to, to try to make this faster, you know, to where you don't end up having games that, you know, last that long. Because I think it, when it, I, I think both teams need to have it. It's regular season, what Dom said, I agree with if you want to keep it that way, you know, because, you know, you lose an overtime in week four. Okay, you still got week five, six, and seven to make up for it, you know might hurt, but you can still make up for it. Um, but in, in playoff games, when it really, you know, it's between your season ending and not, and these teams are that good, they deserve, you know, the chance to get to that point and to go out the right way. I think both teams need to have, need to have a chance to touch the ball, at least in, in, in the playoffs, not the regular season. I will say this. This goes to Tino's point about, uh, you know, a better team winning in the you know, Chiefs and uh, Patriots game. Patriots had three third and longs on that drive, right? Two balls went to Edelman straight up, you know, right up the middle, first down. Yeah. The other ball went to Gronk, you know, for a big yardage on third down. So, you know, at the same time, like, they did have their chance to stop. But I do lean more towards the two, because, you know, each team at least gets a chance. So, you know, that's just how I feel about it. I've always felt that way about it. I've always lost. <laughs> Me too. But I do, I do see both sides of the argument, like Tina was saying. That's a good argument you made, Tina. That's like one of the better, better ones I've heard for arguing against the. You know, it's better than most of what the talking heads talk about on TV. <laughs> so I give you credit for that, but I'm still on the side of I think both teams should possess the ball. Yeah, I mean, I, like you know, obviously there's there's going to be two sides, multiple sides of everything, you know. But um, just just the way, like I, I don't know, I like. A lot of the people that have been coming out, like, screaming about it, really, like, I haven't noticed like, you guys really screaming about it, but, like, you know, everyone's, like, against the Patriots. So that's why they're so upset, you know? Like, no one was upset, you know, in the first game. Like, Rams fans weren't crying when the Saints just got the ball in the coin flip, right? Because oh. they got the ball back. So, you know, there's definitely, you know, multiple sides to this. Um and we'll see if they make any changes next year. You, you know, the NFL is always changing. They're always trying to implement new things. So, we'll see what Goodell does. I think he will do something between what happened in both games. Hopefully, it's not more replay because we don't need that. Um, but if he changes overtime, I would not be upset. Let me, let me make that clear. I would not be upset if he changed overtime. But I don't think he needs to particularly. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I could we could have a whole podcast separately on topic and replay and what I think about that. Oh, yeah, you could talk forever about that. Oh, yeah. uh, but no, I agree. And no one's ever going to be happy. It doesn't matter what sport it is, <laughs> you know. Yep. At the end of the day, if your team wins an overtime game, you're you know you'll make every argument and say, oh well, we deserve to win. We're a better team, and whatnot. And if your team loses, you're saying this is unfair. Change the overtime. Change whatever. Longer replays, more flag. <laughs> yeah, so. you don't you don't need that. I mean, there's too many flags and replays and stuff to begin with. I mean, pass interference, I guess. Probably. I mean, this is a horrible stain on the league. The amount of attention it's getting to. Um, so, I can understand, you know, wanting to put in some defensive pass interference. But that's not, you know, how do you go about it then? Because this was a no call. So. I mean, I don't know how that works. Like, if it's a no call, 
Like, can you challenge? I mean, it, it gets so jumbled up because I don't know how you challenge that then if there's not even a call on the field. What, what I was reading today on the topic, just because I had seen it on Twitter, was that they're talking about maybe having a referee in the booth who, uh, you know, if the call is wrong, you know, or a flag should be thrown there, that ball. You know, the umpire, you know, the head referee, whatever you call them, the head guy, uh, then throws a flag because the guy from up, up top says that's a flag, throw it, which I think would be awful. That takes away from, I think that would make refereeing worse, you know, kind of like in the MLB, where I don't like that it goes to somebody from New York, right, who says, oh, well, he's safe. Like, I feel like that should be. Oh, that's on, brutal too. Yeah, I feel like that should be on the guys who make the call, right? If they know they messed up, oh, you know, then it should be then the one who changes it. It shouldn't be somebody who's sitting behind five different camera angles, right? And that's how I feel like it should be, you know, in football. If you're going to do that, yeah, then it should be. Hey, we're going to meet three of us. You know, one of us looks at it. Two others can have headsets or whatnot. Get it done. Get it done quick. Call it that. Yeah, baseball is the worst in the sense that you can slow it down to like the millisecond. I can't stand that. Well, yeah, but that's a yeah, that's a whole other story. It's also I feel like baseball is one of the harder ones to get. You know, because everything's just so quick in baseball. I mean, we all we all played it, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's football. Yeah. I think is, is the toughest live though, just because I mean that's yeah. a that's a different speed. That goes back to my point of you can't have you know fifty year average people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you need some younger, sharper guys out there, definitely. Yeah, they should have their own boot camp, their own things, should be full-time reps or whatnot. Yeah, exactly. Why do they not? I mean, it's such a part-time, that, that's all, that's like a huge part of it. Why has it always been that way? I mean, I guess it, I know why it's always been that way, but I mean, you really, if you want to like develop as a league and progress, like you have to you know, do something to in- implement, you know, referee training and it's a full-time job where you pay it and, you know, I mean, all this stuff. And I don't like they don't have any of that. They just all right. Yeah, you're you're a principal. All right, you're a lawyer. You're an accountant. And you know, we'll see you on Sundays. I, I don't know about you guys either, but I absolutely hate having uh, whether it's Terry McCauley or Gene Steratore. Oh, in the booth. Yeah, and, some of them. I like Steratore. I don't like McCauley. I just triplet. Like, he's like, he's brutal too. Like they're good, right? I understand that it's nice to have their insight. But I absolutely hate it there because. For example, when the Packers played the Falcons this year, right? Joe Philbin challenged the first two call, you know, he challenged two calls within the first two minutes, like it was constantly. Oh, yeah, the call get right. It just makes you more upset as a fan watching the game. You know, if the call, if he says that call should be called one way and it's not called that way, just there's no need for them, right? You want to have them on a post game or you want to have them on your weekly show, whatnot. That's fine. Get them out of the booth. Get them out of the headquarters and whatnot. Just leave it alone. Let the guys rep. Let the guys umpire. Let them do whatever. But don't judge them on a call that is going quick as can be. Yeah, absolutely. So um, with the talk replay, and then we kind of broke on the MLB. Um, dive into the MLB right now. Um, and Dom, uh, I think there's some technical difficulties on your end of the. Yeah, I keep hearing right some now. like some it's a lot of noise. 
a lot of noise. So if you can try to get your uh, stuff all steady, that'd be appreciated as I go through this uh, this baseball stuff. Um, so I'll be talking about the MLB. Uh, Morris will be talking about the NBA tonight. Don will be talking about college basketball, and then uh, we'll wrap things up. Uh, my topic on, topic on the MLB tonight is the Minnesota Twins. So um, if you're an average baseball fan, you know, this is kind of, you know, new to you. Um, if you're an avid baseball fan like myself and Dom and Morris, you know, you know a little bit about the Twins or, you know, who they are, what kind of players they have. So um, what we're trying to do is, is talk about teams that aren't talked about a lot. Um, in all in all these sports that we're going to be doing, so uh, you know, first first four we're, uh, first team we're cracking at is the Twins. Um, I picked them this week because I feel like they're underappreciated um, as a ball club. Just uh, you know, no one's been talking about them. No one's been talking about any of the moves they've made, they've been making, and they've been making some solid moves, starting with their manager position, right. They just got Rocco Baldelli as their manager, um, young guy, uh, was a was Boston Red Sox, was a Tampa Bay Ray, um, played in the league for 11 years as an outfielder, um, was third in the uh, in rookie of the year voting when he was a rookie um, back in the day. Um, he's still young. I believe he's early 40s. I want to say 41 years old. Um, so that's kind of been the wave of coaches as of late um, in a lot of sports. You know, we see it in football with McVay um, and then Shanahan's young. And we see it with, uh, you know, a couple other coaches in the MLB, like Aaron Boone got a job last year. Um, Dom, you know, probably doesn't appreciate uh, his, some of his judgments, but um, they're doing these young coaches to kind of relate to these modern type of MLB players, because it's becoming more of an analytical game. And, Coming from the Rays, Rocco Baldelli's been doing nothing but analytics. I mean, that is the most analytical team there is as of now, maybe besides the, uh, the Chicago Cubs. Um, I mean, he's been working under Kevin Cash, who, in my personal opinion, should have been manager of the year for the AL last year, leading the Rays to 95 wins um, with one starting pitcher. So if you're working under that guy, you've been definitely getting some knowledge over the past couple years. Um, uh, so like I've been saying, young coach wave, he relates to players cause he's young. He's in part of the race success um, with analytics and, and other stuff. He, he was a first base coach for three seasons um, for the race. Um, been working in baseball development pretty much as soon as he came out of the league. Uh, so he's, he hasn't stopped doing baseball stuff since 2000. Um, when he came into the, when he got drafted. Um, so, and like I said, working under Kevin Cash, which is like, if you know anything about baseball, Kevin Cash is becoming one of those guys that is looked upon as a very, very smart coach. Um, so I think starting from there, that's a big transition for the twins. Um, and then I want to talk about their star from the past couple seasons, Eddie Rosario. He led the twins in every single top offensive category last year. He had a 288 batting average, 24 home runs, 77 ribbies, and eight stolen bases. That is a stud year with no, pretty much no hitters around him. 
Can we agree with that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, no hitters around him, right? No protection in the in the order from the Twins last year. Um, I want to say the next best hitter was like was Cap was Kepler. Um, I mean, come on. So you know, him being able to hit like that, and he hit like that two seasons in a row. He hit two ninety, I believe, the season before, um, which is you know very good. He's respected around the league for sure. Plays a solid left field defensively. Um, as I said, he had eight stolen bases, so he can run a little bit. Um, just an all-around solid player to have on your team. And he's going to be there for the long run right now, um, especially with some of these off-season pickups they have. Yeah. Uh, I want to start with um, a couple of guys they picked up. C.J. Crone, they picked him up off of waivers from the Tampa Bay Rays, a um, very underappreciated hitter in the league. Uh, he was really underappreciated with the Angels. They were only playing him pretty much against left-handed pitching. Um He's only hitting, you know, between 12 and 16 home runs because he wasn't getting the at-bats he needed. Um, hit over 20 home runs this past year for the Rays. Um, and he didn't even play every day with them. He played a lot, but not every day. Um, he can play first base. Uh, that's pretty much it. He's um, not that good defensively, but he plays solid first base. They picked up Jonathan Scope from free agency. Which solid pickup. Yeah, he's a good player. Yep. Um, <laughs> man. he can hit for power, hit for average, he can run, um, solid glove in the field. Then they picked up Ronald Torres, uh, you know, ex, ex Yankee. I love him. I love him. Pretty player. Yeah, Dom, you like Torres, right? Oh, I love him. How could you not? Yeah, exactly. So he can, he can hit a little bit too for, for his size, huh? I, he's, no, what it is, is he's a, he's a, straight fastball hitter and he swings at the first pitch all the time and ropes it every single time. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So he's a solid pickup. He can, you know, he do, he he'll be in the same role as he was with the Yankees, you know, every third day or so he'll come in, you'll, you'll either play short third or second. Um, he'll pinch, he'll uh, come in the field defensively things like that. Um, and then their biggest pickup, Nelson Cruz. Huh? Oh, yeah, they did get him. I forgot about that. Yeah, so that's four veteran players, right? Yeah. Hey, oh, you know, yeah, that's true. They bring significant um, experience. They bring significant talent to a ball club that definitely needed it. I mean, last year they were still young. Um, you know, Maurer was on his way out, which he is. Maurer's retired. Um, so that is a drop for, for their ball club. Um, I'll get to that in a second. But I think Nelson Cruz and C.J. Crone are huge bats to have in a lineup. Um, like, I don't want to pitch them back-to-back, especially with Rosario in there, because Rosario with protection is, becomes even more dangerous of a hitter. So here, here, here's like a middle-of-their-order outlook right now. Rosario, Nelson Cruz, C.J. Crone, and Jonathan Scope. That's pretty legit in, an, in the AL Central right now. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. pretty good. No, it's, I mean, the division, I think, is probably there. I mean, the Indians have kind of dominated in recent years, but, you know, you know, the Royals aren't any good. And I mean, who knows? I mean, the Indians, you know, they're kind of a couple years into this thing now. They haven't really showed much progress. You could see them taking a step back um, since they seem to get knocked out in the playoffs, like, every year. Um, yeah, I mean, that's those are some good veteran moves, definitely. I, you know, I don't pay attention to the Twins at all, so you just – I knew they signed Cruz. I didn't even know they signed Scope. That was clearly under the radar. Um, 
But yeah, those are nice moves on top of, you know, a already decent young core. I mean, the one thing, I mean, do they really have enough pitching though? I don't know. They were, yeah. I guess they were second in the, uh, the out central was horrible last year. Second in the division with a losing record, but yeah, what's their staff looking like? Yeah, so I, w- I want to get to their staff. Um, it's not, you know, amazing, right? You're not going to know if you're the average fan. You're not going to know every single name on it. Um, but they bring young guys with talent, and they bring some veterans who have had great years before. So their their ace is an obvious. It's Jose uh, Barrios. Only twenty. Uh, yeah, he's 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 pretty good. Yeah, he's only twenty four years old. Uh-huh. Um, coming off a two hundred and two strikeout season this past year, so, no doubt about um, high net fastball slider, change up. He's got it all. Um, great arm action. So he's definitely uh, definitely be on the lookout for him to have even a better year than he did this year. Um. And then their number two is most likely Kyle Gibson. Um, he's a veteran. He had his breakout season last year with a 3.62 ERA. That was his career low. Um, and he's not old. He's 31. Um, so he's got experience in the MLB. He's been there before. Um, to be a solid number two, I think. And, and another veteran they have is Jake Odorizzi, who has had up and down years. Um, but his his career ERA is under four. He's got a three nine five career ERA. Um, he's still young. He's only twenty eight years old. Um, but he's pitched. He's had five years in the league, you know, as a starter. So he's been there before. Like I said, he pitched for the Rays. Um, I feel like the Twins and Rays are kind of going hand in hand right now. I got a couple X Rays in here. Um, but uh, yeah, so he's solid. Um, and then Michael Pineda. Um, he might be in the starting rotation. He's coming off uh, fresh off Tommy John surgery. Um, but he's got a career uh, 9.09K per nine. Man, Pineda is always hurt. But he is, you're right, he is talented. He's out there. Do you want to hear the problem about Pineda? Is that you're going to get games where he has, you know, 13 strikeouts, 12 strikeouts. And you're going to have games where he's given up six runs in three innings and there goes the next three starts for him because it's always going to be something with him. It does not matter. He can be lights out when he wants to be, but when he struggles, boy, does he struggle. And it's multiple games. That's what stinks about him and the injuries, obviously. He had the shoulder pressure. He had Tommy John, you know, back when he was with the Yankees. Yeah, but he can be good, you know, and it's going to be a good pickup, especially for the Twins, playing a lot of hitter or pitchers' ballparks. But, man – is he not what he was always going to be? Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely wanted to bring it up. Like, he is definitely the definition of a streaky pitcher where it's like he'll rattle off like three, four good starts, and you're like, wow, he is incredible, right? And then, Dom, like you said, you know, because especially, um, you know, he was on the Yankees for quite a few years. It's like you notice these things. You notice his tendencies and stuff, and it's like if he gets rattled, he's kind of done. Um, I, but I feel like for the Twins, like – he can see uh, maybe he'll be used more in the limited role, but he definitely has starter stuff um, in my interest, in my opinion. And then some of their pitching prospects that they have are Fernando Romero. Um, he started 11 games this past year. He went up and down um, the minors and the majors last year due to some injuries and whatnot. 
throws he throws a ninety five mile an hour two seam, twenty four years old. So lots of raw potential there. Um, Al, Alberto uh, Mejia is lefty. Started four games for the Twenties last year. Went two and zero with a two point oh one ERA uh, last year in twenty two and a third innings. So young, but definitely some raw talent. Put in some solid innings last year. And then a guy the Twins have been talking high about is a guy named Cole Stewart. Um, he pitched in eight games last year, had four starts, uh, and had a 3.68 ERA and 36.2 innings pitched, and he's only 24 years old. So right now I just named – out of all the, all the pitchers I named, I named four pitchers under 25 years old. So a lot of potential there. Um, I still think they'll be the second-best pitching staff behind the Indians, of course. Um, with their loaded up staff with Clevenger and Bauer and, um, you know, they're harder to compete. But I think with the Indians losing a couple bats in this offseason, I, th- I think the Twinnies can compete. Um, so, yeah, that's why I kind of want to bring them up. Hiring. They got a, they got a guy, he's a veteran. I don't know if you know, it's Jason. It's like he's kind of, you know, your typical blue collar catcher, like, He's a good catcher, you know, hitting the 200s, really. But he made the all-star game, right, for the Houston Astros in 2013. I did not know that till today. <laughs> Jason Castro, right? <laughs> yeah, really. How old is he? I think he's 31. Oh, no. Wow. Yeah. He played significant amount of games in the major leagues, and, like, you know – I started looking at them past couple of days and I'm like, wow, he was on the twin that long and he played that many games for them. Like I knew he was there, but I didn't know he was that significant. Um, and he's, he's gotten hurt a couple of times. That's one of the reasons, but he's going to have to be the replacement to Maurer. And I think that is the biggest part, the biggest hole the twins have to fill. Um, I feel like they filled all the other holes already with picking up Chrome scope and Tereus and Cruz. So if their young bullpen can hold up um, with Addison Reed, this kid named Hildenberger, who had seven saves for them last year, and then this big stud, Trevor May, who throws 96-97, if they can kind of keep it together, I think they can have a shot at the Central with it being such a weak, weak, weak division. I mean, the White Sox are sort of on the come up um, with their young talent, but I don't think they're there yet. The Royals stink. Um, it, you know, so I got to give my, I got to give these twenties a shot. I don't know what you guys think about them, um, with all the stuff the, throughout. Wow. The- I just, I just got a Minnesota twins preview for the season. That's like, I, I could have read that in SI. That was good. I didn't, I didn't really know much about them before. Um, but I mean, realizing that the, I mean, the AL central really, I think is there for the taking. Yeah. I mean, the Indians, I think did get a little weaker. Um, losing some bats and you know they've kind of been knocking to the door for a while now sometimes the you know team just grows stale they got swept out of the playoffs last year um and i don't i mean yeah the white Sox. i don't think they're you know they're lost 100 plus games last year the royals are clearly in a major rebuild after you know going to the world a couple years in a row um the tigers are you know they're kind of they're kind of irrelevant these days too um the white Sox. i guess they could theoretically still get machado but even that's not really bringing them the playoff might be, you know, close five, but not serious contenders. Um, yeah, I think that was 
I'm buying the Twins now as a sleeper in the AL Central. The, the problem with the Twins is their season is always going to run into one roadblock, and it's if they play the Yankees in the playoffs. Yeah, that's true. But they're like they're they're one of those smart small small market teams, you know. I mean, there's the dumb ones like the White Sox, or you know, you go to the NL, you look at the Marlins, you know, the Reds. I guess were decent for a couple of years. The Padres have been irrelevant forever. Like the, the Twins, you know, they go get these young players cheap, and you know, the team sometimes. Yeah, they got they got the wild years ago, right? Yeah. They, yeah, they were in the game. They got smoked by the Yankees, but <laughs> with this kid Juanco and then Erie uh, Adrianza up the middle, um, they're going to be good, solid players, and then they're going to be learning from guys like Scope and Torres, and and then uh, you know CJ Crone can mash, uh, Nelson Cruz can obviously mash. So you know what? Maybe you know maybe they just outscore their opponents. You know. Um, and that's, that could definitely work in the central, you know, playing shit pitching with the Tigers, Royals and the, uh, and the White Sox. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to give a little introduction about the twenties. Um, next week will be a different squad. I haven't decided on that yet. Um, but, uh, you guys want to, wants to go next. You can be doing NBA or college. Yeah. I'll hit some NBA. I mean, do it right in the middle of all of it. Um, I'm going to focus, and I mean, did anyone just see? There's some big NBA news that just about an hour ago, Victor Oladipo was uh, stretchered yeah. off the court for the Pacers. Um, looked awfully serious, and we know that they can't compete without him. Uh, so that'd be a bummer, even though, you know, theoretically it would be good for the Sixers because that's one less team we got to worry about in the East. But um, a guy that's, yeah, if you're, if I'm going to look at it that way. I'm kind of the, you know, the savage way to look at it. But a guy that's been a great player and also, you know, kind of, Victor Oladipo is a great, you know, he's a, he's a special guy. I mean, really kind of looked like first few years he was irrelevant. Um, not irrelevant, but, you know, he was on an irrelevant team in Orlando, and he was, you know, kind of meandering his way through, going through struggles of a normal young player, and, you know, then got traded to OKC and really wasn't great there. You know, in that one year there with Westbrook didn't really fit too well. Um, and then got traded back to his home state of Indiana, or not home state, but college state, you know, because he went to college there. Um, I think he's, you know, he's a DeMatha guy. That's a that's a different topic though. Got um, but he uh, no, but Old Depot clearly going back to Indiana, you know, revitalized his career. Um, he became an All Star last year, and that would be a bummer if that that injury is really serious. Um, but anyway, a team that I wanted to delve into, um, other than the Pacers, surprise team in the Eastern Conference this year, the uh, the Brooklyn Nets uh, up in you guys' neck of the woods there. How many Nets fans are in Dumont, in case me asking? Is it mostly Knicks or what? Uh, it's mostly – I could either care less about basketball, but once the Knicks or Nets get good – Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're both just been around. No, I don't so. do that. That's not – Yeah. No. Yeah, you're, well, you're a true Knicks guy. I'll, I'll live and die with the Knicks. But. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a lot of dying, but <laughs> I, I, I appreciate the hustle. Um, but anyway, the Brooklyn Nets, man, I mean – Really, back from the dead this year, their best season in, you know, I can't remember how long since the one year they had Pierce and KG with uh, Darren Williams. Even that team wasn't any good. They got, I think they might have won a playoff series and then got smacked by a LeBron team in the second round or so. Um, and obviously, you know, the trade, the infamous trade now that they made about five years ago or so, getting one of many teams that just got royally screwed by Danny Ainge, um, completely <laughs> snookered. That one was more, 
I don't want to say luck, but clearly going back on it, I mean, the Nets thought they were going to be able to compete for years with Pierce and KG. And clearly that was a stupid angle. And, you know, with Prokhorov just looking to spend money, um, really decimated the team. Um, and, you know, Pierce and KG, I mean, they, they put their faith in Darren Williams, which was just clearly a, a dumb thing to do looking back on it. Um, it didn't work out and fell into irrelevance for, I mean, how, how many years now? This is, I mean, this is their first decent. I think that was about five years ago. So, I mean, and they were in at least the Sixers when they were bad. The Sixers were intentionally trying to lose games. I mean, the Nets just, I mean, they they imploded after that trade because they lost all their players. You know, they had bad contracts. They had, you know, it wasn't a structured rebuild or anything. They, they weren't supposed to be bad, and they had no draft picks because they traded all their picks to Boston. Um, so that's, you know, it's really impossible to get good in the league without having picks. And, you know, when you're, when these old guys that you put a lot of faith in just bust it out, and you don't have any draft picks to replenish it with, you're going to end up with what they were, which was, you know, a 20 win. I think they won sub 20 a couple years too. And they didn't have any picks because Boston just ended up getting all these picks using Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, guys like that. Um, so that's why, you know, the Nets have been irrelevant for so long. But this year, I mean, they're really back, um, led by some unsung guys. I mean, D'Angelo Russell having arguably an all star year now, 19 points a game. Um, the first of a couple savvy moves that the Nets have finally made. Um, trading what they they traded the the last two picks in the in the or two picks towards the end of the first round in the draft last year to the Lakers and the Lakers ended up picking Kuzma and Josh Hart actually with those picks and Russell's flourishing with the Nets so that's a trade that's actually worked out for both teams um but yeah D'Angelo Russell I mean 19 points a game and you I mean they don't even have Karis LeBert right now who was really tearing it up for them um, and Spencer Dinwiddie, who just got a contract, another kind of unsung guy, second round pick out of Colorado, averaging 17 a game um, and, you know, really dominate night in and night out. I mean, they have a ton of guys. They just they have all these guards that just run pick and roll, get downhill, can all play make, can all, you know, create from multiple spots, can all shoot. Um, and they really haven't even had the chance to because Levert's been hurt for he's missed like the last 30 games or so. And he was, came, came out of the gates firing, averaging 18 and a half in the first 14 games of the year. Um, but and, you know, when he gets back, they're even more scary because I think they've won, like they've won like 17 out of 22, something, something crazy like that. And even early in the year when they were losing games and it looked like, ah, oh, you know, all right, this will just be another typical Nets year. They might, you know, maybe they'll get to 30 wins, whatever. Oh, in a lot of games, they had leads in a ton of these games. They just weren't closing them, you know, which is a typical inexperienced young team thing to do. Um, they're by no means a perfect team. I mean, their front court's kind of soft. I think you can score a lot of points on them easily, but. Having you know watched them and I uh, watched them firsthand. I went to a Sixers Nets game this year. Jimmy Butler didn't play, but you know that was still no excuse for Dinwiddie and Russell just come out. Spencer Dinwiddie's had his career high. He set his career high twice against the Sixers this year, um, and that's an Achilles heel of the Sixers. I don't want to see the Nets in the playoffs because we really struggle guarding you know athletic perimeter perimeter guys that can do multiple things because we don't have a lot of switchy, long athletic defenders. Um, but yeah, I mean with what Dinwiddie does and with what Levert does and with what Russell does, they're a scary team and they got a winning record now, 25 and 23 sitting at six in the East. I don't think anybody before the year would have thought the Brooklyn Nets would have been six in the East, in the East, maybe outside chance at the eight seed, but probably, you know, a little bit out, you know, they're ahead of teams like Miami and Charlotte who aren't great, but have at least been, you know, playoff teams, the Wizards, the Pistons, these teams have made the playoffs in recent years. Um, and I think they're pretty firmly entrenched as the sixth seed. I don't really see those other teams below them, really. I mean, obviously, the standings are close, but 
just from the eye test and from what you see and how well they played recently, the Nets really look like a decent, you know, they look like that one sneaky low seed in the East that could possibly pester one of the top seeds and give them a decent series. So what do you guys think about them? Spencer Dinwiddie is, I mean, what a remarkable story. I mean, you want to talk about, you know, we all about the underdogs here, Joker Mag. That that guy is the definition of an underdog. Everything he's gone through in his you know young career, right? I believe he had he's had some major knee surgeries. I'm not sure about his draft, but I think he was a second second round draft pick or might have even been undrafted. Uh, man, he's having a year, and that's where that whole team kind of is gritty. That's what it is. That team is gritty. They get wins. Not every win is pretty, and not every win and you know that they should win ends up being one. But man, they're in every single game they play, and it's fun basketball to watch. I will say that a lot more people have, like you said, Morris. You don't know if everybody's Knicks or Nets here, but a lot of people have taken an interest in the Nets this year because they are playing well. I mean, Knicks suck, but <laughs> you know, that's a whole nother story. I'm glad they suck, yeah. uh, but the Nets have. You know, they're playing really well, and there's a little bit of excitement around here. You're looking, hoping for the Nets to get to the playoffs and maybe make some noise, you know. I think they could. I think I, if I'm a, you know, as a Sixers fan, I don't want to play them in the first round. We played them three times. They beat us two out of three. And the only game we won, like I said, was uh, it was Jimmy Butler in a buzzer beater. And we were losing by 20 in that game the whole time and came back, you know, miraculously in the fourth quarter. That was when the Nets were doing that, you know, in that stretch of blowing a lot of leads early in the year. Um, but the other two times we played them, they put up 120-plus on us. That really, you know, we had some injuries. Like I said, Butler missed that one game. But really looked like the better and more assertive team in those games that I watched and easily could have beaten us all three. I don't want any part of playing them in the first round. If I'm, you know, looking at it now, looking at the way the Sixers have played against Indiana and now with Oladipo being hurt, I'd much rather play them than Brooklyn. Well, that's the thing about the Nets is that, you know, it was a stretch they went through where they were blowing some massive leads, but they still do. I mean, there are games that they, they're up 10 with, like, you know, six, seven minutes left and should easily cruise. I mean, the teams that if are not may not may be worse than them, but if not, they're equal to. And yeah. They lose. I mean, and there's no, you know, excuse or anything for them. They just flat out blow it. But – Honestly, if you don't make the playoffs and that's the kind of year you have, that's that's good for you know if you're a Nets fan because that's just going to mean next year you're going to find a way to win those games and you're going to get a playoff spot and a playoff spot. With I mean the Nets haven't seen God knows how long, and, <laughs> you know. And like you said, to do this all without draft picks, I mean this is a rebuilding Nets team. Let's not forget that. Yeah, they weren't even you know they thought they'd be okay, I guess, but and they, for the most part rebuilding. And they jumped into it with, I believe they got a first-round pick last year because they traded for it. Uh, right. But this team hasn't had picks. I mean, they went all out for KG, like you said, and Paul Pierce and all them, and have just struggled. Right now they're rebuilding, and they might find themselves, which I thought, honestly, the Knicks would find themselves into that position this year with a young squad and the way they started out the season. But, hey, it's not going to happen for the Knicks, thank God. So well, yeah. with Porzingis hurt, you know, I mean, I I figured they'd be terrible this year. Oh, I hope he, I hope he. Oh, by the way, James Harden has right now forty nine points against. Our I know. I just wanted to throw it out. Oh, but yeah, God. that's definitely our team that I would be scared of if I'm playing them in the playoffs. Yeah. So I, uh, as of right now, there I think they're tied with the the Magic right now in their current current game. Um, it's in the fourth quarter, but. I think their success has to do with 
one of their assistant coaches, and he goes by the name of Pablo Prigioni. Oh, that's right. I forgot. I didn't even. I didn't even remember that. <laughs> he's an assistant. Is he forty yet? He's got to be forty years old. Yeah, I think he's in his forties. Um, but anyway, I saw the name, and I'm like, Pablo Prigioni, uh, ex Nick, huh? Uh, but yeah, I mean, the the Nets seriously have some legitimate players right now, some legitimate veterans, right? Um, that are helping some of these young guys. Spencer Dinwiddie is a baller, absolutely. D'Angelo Russell, we knew he was a baller from Ohio State, right? I mean, that lefty shot, um, his step-back ability, his ability to get to the basket. Um, I mean, he's a little bit of a hothead, right? But I think him being a leader of a team, you know, especially with scoring anyway, it really helps him. You know, he wants the ball in his hands. He wants to facilitate. He wants to drive, you know. Um, the Nets look good. I mean, yeah, for real. I don't think if they – when they go into the playoffs as either a five or a six, right, they're not just going to give it up, you know. They're not just going to be like, oh, we got to the playoffs. That That's our season. Like, once they're there, I mean, they're going to play, you know. Um, I mean, Damari Carroll is a, a solid veteran. Alan Crabb is a solid player. Um, I mean, you're looking at a decent roster. And you know what? In, in the East, anything's really possible still. You know, um, obviously, you know, with the Celtics playing better and the Sixers playing well and the Bucks with Giannis and, you know, I mean, it's tough, but, you know, they're, if there's no reason they shouldn't be either a six, five, six or a seven um, heading into the playoffs this season. So, yeah, I like I like you uh, bringing up the Nets more. So I appreciate that one. Yeah, them and I mean, there's there's other teams around the NBA that have really you know surprised people this year. The Sacramento Kings are another one. Um, but I figured the Nets were, you know, because they've been the most hot recently. Um, people are actually finally starting to talk about them. You know, you watch shows and the Nets are actually generating some positive interest for the first time. And like we said, I don't know how many years. So salute to the Nets. They're doing a good job. And I don't want to play in the playoffs because I think they could actually have a chance to beat us. Well, all right. So that covers our NBA team. Talked about the Nets. Baseball talked about the Twins. Dom, what are we looking at for college basketball? Yeah, so, I mean, this, this is probably going to be a quick segment because I want to just dive into a few mid-majors you should look forward to come March. You know, it's nearing. February is a great month because March Madness is soon upon us, right? This is where the conference schedule, these games get awesome. Um, and a few teams that you should look for, I mean, I wrote the article last March Madness about Loyola Chicago making some noise. O'Shea, unfortunately, left it out of the original article, but then wrote the piece apologizing. So shout out O'Shea for that. I do appreciate it. Uh, but huh. a few teams you should look forward to. One is Hofstra. The Hofstra Pride. 17-3 and on the season. They're uh, 7-0 in conference right now. Yeah, they haven't played many good teams, but the one team that they have played is a Maryland squad who I think could win the Big Ten this year, honestly. Maybe not, not – definitely not the regular season. They could win the Big Ten tour. Yeah, not, not the yeah. regular season. And that pains me to say I absolutely despise Maryland. But, yeah. you know, they have a nice young squad over there. They're playing really well. Um, and I think they can make some noise come Big Ten tournament and NCAA you know, tournament time. But Hofstra is 17-3, and three, you know, is a good mid-major squad to look forward to come March. You know, definitely pick them to kind of – maybe win a game. I mean, they might get like a, you know, depending on what they, I mean, season's not over yet. The whole thing could fall apart, obviously, but they could easily get like a 13, 12 or 13 seed at the way they're playing right now. 
So you have to look forward to them. Uh, another team I do like is an Old Dominion squad. Uh, they went to the Carrier Dome and beat Syracuse. They've had some really other tough games, and right now they are 5-2 and two in conference, 15-5 and five overall. And Old Dominion, I mean, yes, they are a mid-major, but they're one of those teams that, you know, don't be surprised to see in the tournament, right, every single year. Uh, but they have played very well this year so far. I don't know how much you guys really watch mid-major basketball like I am. I mean, most of that. I do not watch much yeah. of it. I mean, I know who the who the good teams are, but I don't really watch any. Most of that deals with, you know, me being a degenerate. But, that, <laughs> you know, uh, but Old Dominion definitely makes some noise come March. Uh, another team um, who I really think could make a good amount of, you know, noise come March Madness is Buffalo. Now, I know. Oh. Oh, yeah, they're good. They were ranked. They did this. They did that, right? But they went to the Carrier Dome this year, and they beat a tough Syracuse team. I know they lost to Kentucky last year in the NCAA tournament, and Kentucky wasn't that great last year. But, I mean, 17-2 on a season, I know they just had a really tough loss last night to Northern Illinois. But that team is, you know, they're polished. They're a lot older than most teams in the country that are going to be in the tournament. Um, And I think they can make a, a bit of a run. You know, they're not exactly – I don't think they'll be Loyola, Chicago, make it to the Final Four. But I think they can definitely at least get to the Sweet 16 this year. I mean, and that's going to be better than what they had last year uh, when they lost in the second round. And speaking of Loyola, Chicago, they've played a lot of tough teams this year, Loyola, Chicago. And right now, they're only 5-1 and one in conference. I think able to um, you know, March Madness. And that is – by far the hardest thing is a mid-major. I mean, you've got to the Final Four, yeah. But, you know, getting back to the tournament altogether as a mid-major is extremely tough. Um, you know, and they're, you know, another veteran squad. A lot of the guys returned from last year. And they've played a lot of out-of-conference out of teams this year. Uh, you know, one being Nevada only lost by 14. Yeah, they lost by 14, but Nevada – is another top 10 team in the country. They played Maryland and Baltimore this year, lost that one. But then again, we just, I, know I just said Maryland could easily win the Big Ten tournament, I feel like. And, you know, Grant Furman, I did write an article about them earlier in the year. Furman has fallen off a lot, but at the time, you know, they played them. They only lost by two to Furman, but Furman had just knocked off Villanova at Villanova, you know. So I could talk about mid major basketball all day. I love it. I think it's, you know, in a sport that a lot gets talked about, about the big teams, good and bad, right? Mid-major basketball in the Division One level is just absolutely awesome. Uh, so those are a few teams, you know, just to highlight a few that you can look forward to watching if they are on TV. Uh, they're always on ESPN Plus if any of you guys have that, you know, whether you, you, know, you two have it or – our listeners have it always on ESPN Plus. And if you get a chance, just watch them because they're absolutely awesome to watch. Yeah, I do love me some mid-major basketball too. Um, I don't really start watching it much until the conference tournaments really, but um, I like those teams you laid out. Um, and like you said, it really is, you know, with being a mid-major because a lot of it's you – know, a lot of the teams in the mid-majors, especially at the top, you know, you have some that are – that dominate their leagues that, you know, that will be ranked like, you know, the Buffaloes of the world – um, Nevada, 
Uh, like you said, Furman earlier in the year, but they're not doing so well now. But, you know, to make it year in and year out is really tough because a lot of the end, there's a lot of parity in these conferences. It's not like, you know, you look at the Big Ten and you see Michigan, Michigan State. You look at, you know, the SEC and it's Kentucky. Um, you know, it seems like it's someone new every year. Um, and that's why it's so hard year in and year out, you know, and if you make it a lot of the times, you know, you, you see these Cinderella runs, especially when a team makes a Cinderella run like Loyola Chicago. I mean, it's a good chance we never hear from them again. Um, so that's why, you know, you really got to, you know, you got to take advantage of your opportunity and teams like Old Dominion, um, there are other teams you mentioned, Buffalo for sure. Buffalo, uh, Hofstra. Hofstra, right. Yeah. Those teams all have, you know, they're all, I bet you a couple of those teams are there in March because um, they'll probably get the automatic bid and, you know, they'll be, they'll be a scary 13, 14 seed out. Yeah. I mean, and if you want to even dive into a little bit more of the bigger basketball, get away from the mid majors. I mean, we've already talked about Maryland, right? Kansas state having a great conference big, here. Yeah. Right? Big win last night. They've been playing really well. Iowa state. I mean, I know they, they beat Kansas at home. I know they lost to Kansas the other day. They've been playing really well. Kansas State, you know, at conference too. I look for those two guys to be those two teams, not guys, to make a run, you know, and make some noise in March. If you want to look at the ACC, I mean, as much as this is going to pain me to say too, but Syracuse four and one in the ACC. They've had some really bad losses, but they've had some really big wins also, you know. And the Big East, you know, I love myself some Big East basketball more. So I know Villanova. You know, I doubted them a little bit, but that conference is wide open, right? I would love to see my Seton Hall Pirates, you know, come March Madness after winning a Big East championship. But no, oh, that's not going to happen. Let's not but I mean, if you look at it, right, from the Big up, East stinks. I mean, there's two good teams. If you take out Villanova and Marquette, right? Yeah. There's one, let's see, the Paul, Xavier, Butler, St. John's, Seton Hall all have. Three wins. Nobody has a winning record other than those two teams in the other conference. Than, That's yeah. why I guess they're all just average or not very good. Well, this is the problem is that the Paul is really good. <laughs> yeah, they're all right. Like, no, yeah, I mean, they I mean, some for, that, for them, they're good. For them, they're good. But they're not, they like, have, actually that good, I don't think. They have some big wins. I mean, yeah. And they, well, look at I mean, every team is tough to play in this conference, no matter what. I mean, you could play DePaul. You know, if you're going over, you play DePaul. It's going to be a tough game. That's what yeah, you love. no, I, I hear you. Like, Georgetown isn't, I mean, they're better, I think, than the ninth. They're not the ninth, or, you know, the second worst team in the Big East, even though that's currently where they sit with the standings and, you know, the tiebreakers and all that. I think they're better than some of these teams. But I think St. John's is probably, that would that would maybe be my third best team outside of Nova and Marquette. I don't know. They're a little bit overrated. You think opinion. so? I mean, Maury Pons is, in my opinion. Pons is incredible. He's a top three player in NCAA. Yeah, but, no, they're not great the rest of the But team. he is not. You know, St. John's as a team, I don't think they're, you know, as crazy as, you know, everybody makes them out to be. And a lot of big St. John's guys around here too. Uh, yeah, but. They were good. You know, Seton Hall obviously gets the benefit of a call and hits the game when they shot. But, you know, St. John's just doesn't scare me. <laughs> I hear you. That's what it is for me. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I could talk Big East basketball all day. So Yeah, all day. No, uh, me too. Uh, I, I love the Big East, and I love the Big 12 uh, right now. Just all these teams just, like, kind of beating up on each other, right? Like, before, like, it even gets to the real – even their conference tournaments, they're just beating up on each other. 
and it's just great basketball, just gritty, awesome basketball. So I love what the Big 12 has been doing over the past couple of years on the rise, right? Like teams like Iowa State and Kansas State, like seriously competing with Kansas, you know, after Oklahoma had those solid years with the Griffin brothers and stuff like that. And then uh, with Buddy Heald after, after them, like now these other teams are starting to get a shot at Kansas and they're taking their shots. So I really like it. Um, the mid-majors are great, especially because it's tough. Like more, as you said, there's a lot of parity in those conferences because yeah. they're all fighting for the same type of players. Right. You know, like, as far as recruitment goes, you know, yeah, they're exactly. not, they're never getting top recruits. They're always getting the mid major, mid level recruits. So if they can knock, if they can uh, notch one of, you know, a higher recruit, they that just gives them that slight edge for that one or two years, whatever it may be. And um, I mean, they, they mostly have to win their conference to get in. So, you know, I, I like, I love it, man. I love college basketball. We could talk about this for four hours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, anyway, so that covers college basketball. Um, I'm going to be really quick in the NHL. New York Islanders um, heading into All-Star Weekend. First place in the Metropolitan Division ahead of the Washington Capitals. It is amazing right now, the season they're having. Last year, they had 80 total points in this 2017-2018 season. Missed the playoffs. They were, like, fifth in the wild card rankings or whatever it was. This year, they already have 63 points, and they lost their best player, Johnny Tavares. So I'm, I have no idea how they're doing it, but they're playing really good hockey going into the break. Um, it's awesome. To, it's awesome to see a new team um, in the Metro, you know, do some good stuff other than the Caps and, you know, the Penguins and stuff. So I like it. Um, anyway, so that, that covers everything. That uh, concludes this podcast. I want to um, leave everyone with, please visit jokermag.com. Um, also listen to the Hustle Motivate podcast uh, hosted by Tyler O'Shea, our boss man. He had a really, really, really good podcast that came out, I believe, yesterday or two days ago. I don't know. I listened to it yesterday um, with a kid named Tanner uh, Reclitus. He was an ex-college pitcher. Um, joined driveline baseball, went from 81 miles an hour on his fastball to 95 in two years. Um, just talks about how, you know, you can really do stuff that you set your mind to. Um, talks about um, types of goals to set and things like that. So definitely go out and check Hustle and Motivate. It's definitely different from ours. Ours, we kind of just ramble about sports for a little more than an hour. His is more interview style and um, he gets really good people on there so definitely go check that out um and uh i think tomorrow there will be a article on about dwight schrute from the office so <laughs> go check that piece out for uh the entertainment part of our website um i want to thank you everyone for listening and uh morris dom any closing remarks morris we have a big game this weekend on sunday this podcast was brought to you by jokermag.com home of the underdog.